I'd like to welcome you to the ministry of McCormick's Creek Church. We certainly hope that you will enjoy this selection. A six-part message. And so I, I, I promise you I'm not going to preach all six parts this morning. And if, if, if I do, it's going to be an express version of it. But I, I do have a lot to say, and I feel the Lord has is, is impressed me. And one thing, I got a call yesterday, and I was sharing a little bit, or I began to share with, with, with Brother Brad Lenning, and he, he had talked to me. He said he had woke up that morning to begin to, uh, God laid that on his heart, what I'm getting ready to talk about. And I think he even shared it with Sister Roxanne. So um, forgive me if, I, if, if I'm scattered this morning, but I think that there's a lot of applications in what the Lord is dealing with me. Is, is the ultimate destination in which every single one of us collectively and individually has, God has for our lives. We all have a goal. We all have destinations. We all have, have calls in our life and, uh, that, that we're trying to uh, reach out to. And I think some things in life that we'll accomplish, but there'll never be an, there should never be a feeling of arrival that we're accomplished, that we're done. There, there should always be a reaching out. And, uh, and so here's the thing. If, if, if you uh, conquer one battle, just know that there'll be another one right behind it. Because... That's the way God has designed it to be. If we if if we just quit now, we think, oh well, the, our best days are behind us. Then then we're going to die, and we're not going to fulfill the, the the things that God wants in our lives. And I want to talk about this morning about conquering your mountain. You may be seated. Thank you for standing for so long. I have a scripture text, Joshua fourteen and twelve. He says, "Now therefore, give me this mountain." Wherefore, whereof the Lord spake in that day, for thou heardest in that day how the Anakims were there, and that the cities were great and fenced. If so be the Lord will be with me, then I shall be able to drive them out, as the Lord said. Of course, that mountain that he was speaking of was on the other side of the river. As opposed to being in the wilderness. Canaan is the the destination that everybody dreamed about. Canaan became an obsession of the children of Israel. It Canaan, the signification of Canaan meant better days. Canaan was the opposite of the wilderness. Many times we liken the wilderness to be the dry times. Places we're not proud of. Places that we don't want to be. And one thing that we do have to remember, again, I don't even know where I'm going. I'm just going to I'm just going to talk about a lot of about the applications about Canaan and and and, and the wilderness. One thing that we we can not fail to do uh, is is forgetting what God has done in those dry places. We talk about Canaan or wilderness in the wilderness. The greatest miracles that was ever wrought in the in the Old Testament happened not in Canaan. See, we we equivalent uh, uh, the, the miracles with Canaan. The fact is, shoes grew on their feet in the wilderness. Manna fell from heaven in the wilderness. All those great miracles that happened did not happen in Canaan. Canaan, actually, there's, there was battles in Canaan. There was great walls in Canaan. There were giants in Canaan. And we spend so much time trying to get to a destination, these blessings, blessings, blessings. And when we don't see uh, the fruit of our labor and we don't see uh, hide nor hair of Canaan, we get disgruntled, dis- we get frustrated, and many times we quit. And that was what happened to the people the generation, the whole generation that had to die in, in the wilderness because they grew frustrated because half of them lived in two different parts of uh, 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 some lived in the past and some continually lived in the future. And if you study that, you'll realize that they 
Not a one of them ever took, well, I I take that back. Only two men, Joshua and Caleb, ever took the time to thank God for everything that God God done for them in, in the wilderness. And the rest of them spent their time wishing they could go back to Egypt. Remember, they they voiced it. We'd be better off where we came from. And then there was the others that said we they anticipated Canaan so much that they too ignored the fact that God was doing things right now. And because they lived in their minds and their hearts in two different parts, some lived in the past. And some anticipated the future, that they ignored what God did for them now. And simply because they were unthankful, God did not let them go and possess the land in which he had promised. It was, it was, it was Canaan, but uh, it was also the promised land. God did, I've heard somebody say, well, if it was a promised land, they, God went on back on his word. He didn't let him get it or, or, or go into it. God didn't let uh, Moses go into it. He, lets, he just let him see it. And the, the fact is that God's prophecies are not just predicated on what he says. God's promises are predicated is, is this, that I will do this if you will do this. I'll give you Canaan if you do this. And it was a sad reality that most of them, or all of them except two, died in that wilderness. And that promise began way before that. The promise started of of Canaan when he promised Abraham after Lot leaves Abraham's side. He said, I'm going to bless wherever you walk. And the fact and the reality of that story is if you look at where Abraham was at the time he gave him that promise. That place that Abraham was looking at and standing was a dried up barren place. And I know that simply because Lot had a choice to choose uh, Sodom and Gomorrah or he had a choice to, choose, uh, to, to stand or live where they were standing. And he looks down at his dusty sandals and he realizes that where he's at wouldn't benefit him much. And instead of giving his uncle first choice, well, his uncle gave him first choice. But instead of speaking it up and saying, look, Abraham, you're blessed or I'm blessed because you're blessed. You go ahead and pick. And I'm convinced, hear me, I'm convinced that if Abraham would have ended up in Sodom and Gomorrah, that God would have wiped all that junk out and blessed Abraham's because he said, he said, I'll bless you wherever you go. And I believe that he would have wiped out all that junk. Simply because Abraham was connected to the promise and Abraham was connected to a covenant and, 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 and God would have honored that and blessed him wherever he went. But the fact is that Lot didn't have a relationship, a direct relationship with God. He simply walked with a man that walked with God. And when he was disconnected from his relationship with Abraham, all of a sudden, God wasn't in the picture and his life falls apart and wherever Lot went, everything fell apart. And I don't care how pretty Sodom and Gomorrah was, uh, it be simply because of men's choice, it became a curse. That tells me that you can end up in the most beautiful place in your life and everything can be picture perfect. But if you don't have Jesus in your life, you don't have anything and everything can possibly fall apart. Hey, I'm doing okay in it. So far, so good. Thank you. He don't he don't do high fives, but he thinks that's juvenile, and I kind of do too. But. So you, you can imagine, though, that God Abraham has been such a blessing to everybody. He's always given to everybody. Lot's rich because Abraham's rich, and he's blessed because Abraham was blessed by God, and the overflow blessings. It affected Lot, and Lot disconnects from him, and he walks away. And you can imagine, I always have this visual of Abraham thinking, what in the world, in the world did I do when I gave Lot the first choice? Simply, he looks down at where he's at, and it's a barren place. Lot didn't want it. It didn't look good. It wouldn't produce anything. It was a dried up, barren place. 
And Abraham standing there, I could just imagine the tears and the sweat that's dripping onto his old dusty sandals. He kicks the dust and he realizes no vegetation would ever grow there. No plants would ever grow there. And how in the world am I going to survive in this dried up place? And God tells him, he said, listen, I'm going to give you a promise. Wherever you go, the blessings are going to follow after you. Hear me this morning. God doesn't, doesn't bless a place and then you arrive to it. God doesn't bless things and then you go arrive to it. He, he blesses people that are already faithful in dried up places. And that's how you know a, a man or a woman of God is a real thing, a real man or woman of God. When you look around and everything's dried up, what are you going to do now? How are you going to survive? What, how are you going to live for God now? Are you still going to worship God when everything in your life's falling apart? Are you still going to come to church and be faithful when you look around and things aren't going your way? On honest to God, Abraham, nothing was going his way. But God blessed a place simply because Abraham was a, a blessing to him and faithful to him. He was a faithful man of God. And if you look at the place that Abraham's standing, he was standing smack dab right in the middle of a place called Canaan. Do you ever think about that? You ever, did you know that? That Lot chooses Sodom and Gomorrah based on Sodom and Gomorrah's a very more uh, plush place, is nicer, more vegetation. There was more harvest there. His family could flourish there. He didn't want where he was standing. But where Lot or Abraham, excuse me, was standing, that was Canaan. And somewhere between the promise and them receiving the promise when they walked across the, uh, the Jordan River and the entering the Canaan, somewhere between there, God went in there and done a landscaping job on that place. And up until this day, you can study it. You get on the map and you look at it. It has become the most richest place on the planet. It's one of the most fertile places. And they, there's more oil, more gold, more diamonds than any other place. God went in there and made that place a, a haven for that place. Uh, and, and simply because there was a man named Abraham that was faithful and God blessed it. God will always reward blessing or uh, faithfulness over talent, over looks, over money, over prestige. What did Abraham do to deserve uh, that barren place to, to become the most sought after place? I'll tell you what he did. He was faithful to God. When everybody lost or left his side, God was faithful and he still remains faithful to this day. And God still blesses that place. God still bless that place. I do want to point out this. Abraham was frustrated. He sees lots of people, lots of family, lots of servants, lots of children getting frustrated with Abraham's children. And so Lot realizes that it's time to, to, to divide up, to, to leave and, and go their separate ways. Abraham says, if you go this way, I'll go that way. But we, we just got to get away from each other. We're, our families are warring, and we just, we just got to leave. And you realize it was, a, it was a sad thing. But right after Lot walks out of the life of Abraham, God speaks to Abraham, which tells me sometimes God won't speak to you until you get the knuckleheads out of your life. There's a principle right there that I could preach there all day. God, God begins to speak to him, and a lot leaves. Sometimes you just got to get people out of your life that conflict with the voice of God. And he, and he leaves, and God says, okay, now that Lot's out of your life, I'm going to show you something. I'm going to give you a promise. And he gives him a promise, and he tells him, he said, wherever you go, wherever your feet trot east, north, uh, north, south, east, and west, I'll bless it. Wherever you go, I don't care. You pick. You're going to choose. Wherever you go, wherever your feet trot, I'm going to bless it. And God, God blessed him and gave him this promise. And right after that, he gives him, God, Abraham, or 
yeah, Abraham kneels his knee down in a place called Hebron, and he build, he builds an altar, and he gives thanks to God. And so right then and there, and it began with Abraham, the promise was planted in the heart and the mind of Abraham. He began to tell it. God told me about a place, Canaan. We know, and I don't have a lot of time to go, and I'm going to skip down through here, but God gives Abraham the promise of a better place, a pro, uh, 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 the Canaan. And we, we know, understand the history that Abraham has sons, and on down through the line, we realize that Joseph is sold into slavery. He ends up in Egypt, and he's captivated and captured. He's the one that's carrying the promise. He's the one that's carrying through the birthright through the children of God, and he ends up in Egypt. And it absolutely looks like there is absolutely no way that the people of God are going to be blessed because they're captured in Egypt, which is, by the way, a type and shadow of bondage or the world. Right? They're captured. The world has them. The world has got them bound. The world's keeping them from being released into their destiny. And, and for 400 and plus years, they've, they've got them there. And, and, and it looks as though that the dream is going to die. It looks as though that the blessing is going, isn't going to be possible. And you can guarantee that Canaan was the focal point of their life. Just like heaven is the focal point or should be the focal point of their, our lives, they talked about it to the point, And sometimes I'm sure, Brother Krause, that they had just absolutely gave up on their blessing and forgot about it. How are we going to be blessed? How are we going to enter into the, in Canaan when we're here in bondage? And they, they couldn't see their way out of it for 400 plus years. They had the mentality of, of slaves and they were beaten down. And by the time that God delivered them, even though that God destroyed their enemy after they left Egypt, they still lived with a slave mentality. That's the way it is a lot of time with people even getting delivered out of the world and, and, and getting baptized in Jesus' name. And they get filled with the Holy Ghost and they come into the church. And God saves your heart, but He doesn't save our mind. God saved them out of Egypt. But it was left up to them to have their faith built. And they didn't. They couldn't. They couldn't. They couldn't get their mind out of Egypt. So God and God delivers them out of Egypt. And they, they, they were so frustrated. They walked around set free physically, but they were still in, in their mind in bondage. I want to say something this morning. That if you're in church, you don't have to be bound in your mind. Let me put it this way. You shouldn't be bound in your mind. If you have been baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost, you should know that you have been set free. Hear me. That's why God stopped the children of Israel in their tracks when he spoke to them and Egypt was coming back after them to pull them back into Egypt. God told them, he said, listen, I... If I let them run from their enemy, even I destroy their enemy and I let them run from their enemy, they're never going to get it through their head that they're set free. So God speaks to me. He said, stand still. Right? Stop in your tracks. Turn around. Stop. Yeah, but we're running. Egypt's going to pull us back out. We, we, we don't have time to stop. God tells them, so no, no, you stop. You turn around and I want you to see. And God made them stop at the edge of the Red Sea and turn around. And he said, see the salvation of the Lord. I want you to see it. Because I want, and I want you to remember it. And when you die, people's going to remember after you die because you're going to tell it. I saw, I saw the Egyptians dead. And those Egyptians, it was type and shadow of our sins and our failures that was coming to pull us back into bondage. And when we were baptized in Jesus' name, God was saying, look, these are your sins. They're gone. Never to be remembered. The Bible says they never saw them ever again. And he, what he was saying was, listen, if you're stopped in the future, you can't blame it on your past.
I'm going to let that sink down right in your heart and your spirit. Listen, if anything stops you in your future, you cannot blame it on Egypt. How many times do we blame our past and blame the devil for things that happen in our life? Oh, I'm 43 years old, been in this all my life, and I still find myself, Sister Phyllis, blaming myself, blaming the devil for things. Oh, devil's after me. Oh, Egypt's coming after me. It's not, he has nothing to do with it. The world has nothing to do with it. Our past should have nothing to do with it. If anything stops me in the future, it's because of my own dumb choices. I know this is different this morning, but I, I am going somewhere, I promise. So he destroys their, their past behind them. And unfortunately, even though they saw that, they still had a, a slave mentality. Two men, two men only had a good report. There was a time when God said, okay, I, I, I want you to go across. And God has a time for us to do something and that doesn't always mean it gets done. God said, I want you to take 12 spies. And I want you to send them over to the other side of the Jordan. And I want you to tell them to bring back, spy out the land. And the intentions of God to do that was simply this. Now, he's going to pick out leadership, right? And I've been, I was thinking about this all day yesterday. He's going to pick out leadership to, to go to Canaan to bring back good news. And come back and build up the faith of the people. He was supposed to go pick out leadership that was capable, that had good attitudes, that had, was faithful to the house of God and, and faithful to God. Look. I'm trying to get my people across that river into Canaan land. So when you send out some spies or representations of your people, I want you to pick out adequate people. And they picked out supposedly adequate people. Twelve, one representing each of the twelve tribes of, of, of Israel. And they say, he sends them out and, and all twelve of them go and they look and they start, they start looking around. And they come back, and ten people, ten men, had a, the Bible says actually it wasn't a negative report. We talk about it being a negative report. The Bible says they had an evil report. They came back and they said, oh, we can't take the, the, the land. But there was a problem, and this is something, I, I probably should have saved this part for another time because there is a message here, and there's an applica uh, application here. There's got to be, and I was, I've been digging it. Matter of fact, I called Brother Scott Graham yesterday. I was like, you, have you ever preached this? He goes, no. He said, I've never even thought about that. So he's like, that's good. I'm gonna, he said, I'm going to eat on that. So I'm not, I, I, I'm not even going to really try to broach it, but here's the fact. I want you to get the picture. They leave. Go to Egypt, or uh, excuse me, to Canaan, and they come back, and they're supposed to have good news. Ten had an evil report. We can't take it. There's giants there. There's absolutely nothing we can do. Oh, they was just so depressed. And here's the problem. This was, I can't get this through my head. They were carrying the fruits of their trip. They were carrying grapes. I don't know. I, I'm trying to get this picture. The grapes were, the cluster of grapes were so big it took two men to carry one cluster of grapes. That's a big cluster of grapes. Now, I don't know how many clusters of grapes they carried between the 12 of them, but they brought back the grapes. What were the grapes for? Anybody want to tell me what the grapes were for? Possibly. The grapes were a taste or a faith builder, right? Bragging rights. Look what's over there. We've never seen grapes like this. 
Remember, he told him, he said, I'm going to let you live in houses you never built. I'm going to let you harvest crops that you never toiled with the soil. In other words, I'm actually going to reverse the curse of sin, which was working by the, uh, the sweat of your brow. And I, when you go over there, you're not even going to have to do anything. Everybody else is going to do the work for you. And they went over there, Brother Davis, and they brought back these big cluster of grapes. And the cl- cluster of grapes was, look, look, look what's in Canaan. It's a good place. When they came back, you can imagine the people's like, I've never seen fruit that like that. I've never seen great that those are the that's the best cluster of grapes I've ever seen. And and people got excited. You imagine how much grape juice, well, just grape juice, that we could we could make with those grapes. Make you want to go. A positive, good positive thing. And then right after they come back, they're carrying the grapes. This is the reason to go. Look what's back there. The unfortunate part, Brother Sims, was what they carried and what they said contradicted one another. Think about it. I didn't think about this until yesterday. I was like, look, if you're going to tell everybody that it's impossible to go to Canaan, why in the world bother than taking the journey and carrying the fruit? It's a big tease. Why in the world would you go all the way to Canaan and bring back grapes and then tell everybody, look what's back there. Look, we got the grapes from Canaan, but God got bad news too. We can't go. And the only thing that I could think of an application, well, two things is this, that you better... You better practice what you live, and you better live what you practice. Because if they contradict one another, uh, half the truth is just as bad as a whole lie. And there was another mentality. I, I'm, I, was, I mean, I've, I've been up since early this morning thinking about that. It's driven, driven me crazy thinking about it. And the only thing that I could think of is this. You ready for this? They wanted the spoils of war, but they didn't want to go to war. I feel the Holy Ghost right now. I'm going to tell you what. There are people in our churches. They want the goods. They want everything. They want the blessings of God. They want Canaan. They want the substance of Canaan, but they don't want to have enough faith that God could take them over. They don't want to waste their time with the journey. They don't want to fight giants. They don't want to go to Jericho. They don't want to do anything that God wants them to do, but they want to carry grapes around, but they want to tell everybody else it's not possible to go to Canaan. Hear me. What you have in your hand, what you live, how you look better line up with the message that you preach. They were misrepresenting. They were misrepresenting. It contradicted it. It was frustrating to me to know that here is a 10-day journey that they spent 40 years in the wilderness frustrated because they couldn't have the promises of God. This, and this, I'll tell you what's more frustrating than anything. I know two guys were the only ones, Joshua and Caleb said, we can. But they had to suffer along with everybody else. That angers me. Sorry, I'm getting a little... It just angers me. That... That God's will for them was to go across the Jordan. And two guys were faithful to God. So we, we believe, we believe, we believe. And it's usually the minority that speaks the positive, And it's usually the majority that says, oh, we can't. It's usually the way it is. But I will tell you something. Ten said they couldn't, and those ten didn't. But two said they could, and they're the only ones that did. And there is power in, in the way we speak and what we say. There really is. Because the fact is, 
that Caleb and Joshua spoke their way into Canaan and the other one spoke themselves into the grave and they never got to go across. And it was a promised land. It was built for them. They were custom built for them. God delivered them out of Egypt to put them in that land. But God couldn't do it simply because of their mindset. And God is trying to get rid of the carnal mindset in the church. I'm not, I'm not talking about perfect people or anything. I'm talking about the junk that, that we got to get rid of. If we're going to go across, we all got to be speaking the same thing. Caleb, he stands up. He's frustrated. You can see it. His name, actually, he lived up to his name. His name actually means dog-like aggression. He was frustrated. He's like, stand up. He's appalled the fact that they said, we can't go. And I've always been enamored by the fact that they didn't have Facebook. They didn't have, I don't even, I don't know anything else but Facebook. I don't, uh, is there, what other, Snapchat, what is that? Uh, Twitter. I don't know. I don't know. I have Facebook. I'm about to gag on that. But Phyllis, they had they had ten people that said they couldn't. And in one night, without telephones, without texting, I don't know how many people was there. Millions of people made a decision. To ignore the fact that God called them into a promised land. And in one night, the Bible says they wept all night long in their tents. They were frustrated because they saw the grapes. And the message was, it was a mixed message. You're showing us the blessings. You're showing us what we could have there. But you're telling us that we can't go there. I don't, I don't know where the, all the application, but there's something powerful about that thought. That we, we will really have to get rid of the mentality that our message and what, how we live should ma- match up with what we, are, we, we call ourselves. Call yourselves followers of Jesus. Want to be like Jesus? Oh, we sing it to be like Jesus and we hate our brother or we hate our sister. Oh, we're, we, we like Jesus. We forgive like Jesus, but we have bitterness and awe against our brother and our sister. Oh, I'm, t- I, I, I'm going to preach it right now. I feel, I feel like I'm hitting a wall, but I'm going to preach it anyway. And it's high time, if we're ever going to see an apostolic church, we've got to get rid of our pride and start practicing what we preach. There's too many people walking around. We've got the grapes. We're walking around with the grapes. But we can't, we can't have the blessings. But we know we got the goodies of it. We want every, all the good things about Canaan. But we're not willing to go. Because there's battles there. We've got to drop our pride. And, and Caleb was frustrated with it. He spoke up and he said, look, we can go. It's the promise. God gave me this place. And then there were some that came to Moses and said, look. We would rather go back into Egypt. Why do you want to go back into Egypt? Well, because we, it's impossible to cross that Jordan. Look at that river. I mean, how are you going to get all these people across that river, Moses? Look. And the sad part was that Moses began to be convinced. He was the leader. He's like, yeah, I guess you're right. Are you serious, Moses? God delivered you out of Egypt. You stood still. And watch the enemies die. Every, all, all, everything that chased you, you. You've seen all these miracles happen. And you're going to also be convinced. Be convinced. Moses never stood up and said, look. I'm with Joshua and Caleb. And it kind of resembles uh, 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 Christianity these days. Leadership's falling off the map simply because the fight's too hard. And it's just easy to go ahead and believe the ten. It's easy just to give up. It's easy just to run and hide and not face, face the enemy. 
And Moses, it frustrates me that, to know he did. God takes him up and says, look, I'm going to show you what you're missing. And he died. He never got to enter into the promise. But God raised up a man that would. And Caleb says, I, I, let's go across. And, and we, we, we know the rest of the story, how the rest of that generation died simply because of their pessimistic views. And they didn't believe. And, and finally, finally, God took them across. And there were, there were battles there in Canaan. That's what people don't understand. There's battles. There's battles in the promise. Because anything worth getting, there's going to be a battle. You know, I mean, you don't you don't lose your battles. You don't stop fighting simply because you get in church. If if if, if Canaan is a type of the church and receiving or going to the promised land, the, the sad thing was there was giants in 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 the blessing, and there were there were uh, walls that had to be uh, taken in the promise. And Caleb knew that. And you can see it in the silence. This is what I want, I'm coming to. The silence of Caleb shows me the frustration. His name actually means dog-like aggression because for 40-something years you don't hear from him. He's silent. He doesn't say another word. And it's almost, almost as if, because he, you know, he, his character, his name, he's, He's just, he's just aggressive guy. It's almost like saying it's useless. Because if I couldn't convince these people, if Moses couldn't convince these people, and if God couldn't even convince these people that that was their land, I can't say anything. So for 45 years, you don't see him. I counted the chapters and verses one time. I can't remember, but there was a lot of verses and chapters that you don't even hear from Caleb. He's silent. He's gone. He's erased. You don't hear it. Even when they get on the other side, you don't hear Caleb talking. You don't hear his voice. But he's fighting. And he's at Jericho, and he's fighting, and he's with uh, Gad when he gets his property, and he's he's with every man and and and, and woman fighting, standing there fighting. He doesn't say anything, and it comes to the end of Joshua's life that finally you hear, finally you hear from Caleb. After all those years, you, you Caleb's fighting. Which tells me he's an amazing character and he doesn't get a whole lot of credit because he's not just after his portion. What about his plot of ground? Because he is one of the ones that stood coming out of the tribe of Judah. Which was a very important tribe to the kingdom of God, which stood for praise. He was a very important, intricate part of, of, of the vision of God as, and of the dream of God. But you don't hear him, hear from him, but he's fighting with everybody else. And, and that, that characteristic is, is amazing. And I know God honors that. A man or a woman that stands and fights along with his brother and sister, even though they don't see the result of their prayer come past. They're okay standing there fighting with their sister or their brother saying, you know what? This isn't about me. This is about us. And that was what Caleb was all about. He's, he's fighting. He's, he's happy. He's seeing his brother get his. He's seeing his sister get theirs. And he's just standing back, taking it all in. At the end of his life, uh, Joshua's life, he's looked. Joshua's in charge, and I, I, he's the only one that I could go to. And he never rose above his leadership or his head. He goes to the proper channel. He's like, I want, I want my part, but I, I want to get it the right way. And the right way for Caleb to get his portion was this. I want, I'll fight with everybody else because I know this isn't about me, but this is about us. This is the kingdom. And I'm not the king. Jesus is the king. It's his domain. But I'm willing to fight with everybody else. But there came a time when he realizes that the old man, no disrespect to Joshua, but he's an old man. He's laying on his bed. He's dying. And not just anybody. He walks in uninvited. And I get this vision. He 
He's not, he knocks on the door and he says, I want to talk to Joshua. He's frail. He's really weak today. Caleb, I mean, come back at another time. Uh, he, he's, he's sick. He's dying. Caleb's, no, I need to talk to him. I, need, I, I just need to. This is a desperate thing. All right, come on in. You got a couple minutes. He stands by the bedside of Joshua and he says, look, I've been here. I've kept my mouth shut. Now, I've been happy watching Larry get his blessing and watching Brother Anthony get his blessing. And I, I'm just, I'm happy. I'm not a complaining, Joshua. And I'm all right with it. I'm just happy to be a part. But hear me. Remember about 40 years ago when you and I stood there and we were the only two that said we can? We're here. We're here together. Everybody else has died off. But we've done it. There's one thing missing. And I don't want to be, I don't want to be stingy and I don't want to be selfish. But I've got a portion. And it's a powerful thing. You realize that there's a man, he's up in age. He's 85 years old. Sorry, I'm not saying that's old, but. That's a little older than me. 85's the new 60. He's 85. And he said, look, Joshua, I want my mountain. I don't know. I don't know if, if everything was recorded, whatever. Joshua was probably like, look, man, aren't you past your prime? Aren't you tired? Why don't you, why don't you just give up? I mean, you're 85 years old. Caleb, I mean, Lord have mercy. What do, what do you want? Are you serious? What is the age of retirement now? What is it? 65, 66? A couple more years, it'll be 80. They just keep driving it up. Can anybody remember when it, what was the lowest of retirement, the lowest age? What was it? They don't know. Certainly. They're probably trying to Google it. Everything's right on the Internet. 62, was that the lowest you ever seen it? 62, retirement just keeps growing because some knuckleheads keep spending y'all's money, giving it to somebody else. I just lost my crowd. Everybody's mad now. (laughs) Caleb, you're 85 years old, man. You should have retired a long time ago. I mean, you should be happy. You should just be happy with what you've gotten. And he's frustrated. And hear me. Again, we don't see it all, but I'm just imagining this. He's walking by his portion of property, and he looks at it. And the Bible says that they went in to his mountain. That had his name on it. It was his portion. I truly believe that God, even at the creation, even before creation, he goes, you know what? Here's a plot here. I'm a, this is this is his and this is theirs. And I believe God drew his finger around a piece of property and gave it to Caleb. That was Caleb's property. And he knew it. And he was 85. And he said, look. I want to get my portion before I die. And in this scripture, he says it. I'm not an old man. I was young. I'm a young now. I feel as good as I did 40 years ago. And that was my portion of property 40 years ago. And I'm not giving up on it now. Here's where a lot of people have gone wrong. They don't have the tenacity, the patience, and the endurance someone like Caleb has. Because they're, they've, they've got what they call their portion or promise. But they haven't seen the fruit of it. And they haven't seen their prayers answered. So how many people have walked away and given up right before God says, look, that's your property. Oh, it's too much. It's, it's too much. Caleb could have done it, could, could have gotten frustrated. Because the Bible says the enemy had went in to the portion of Caleb's and built a fence around it. The Bible says the, the enemy had went in there and 
try to keep everybody else. So this is the this is the problem. They're in Canaan. They're standing in their promised land, but Caleb's portion has enemy uh, in it, and they've got fences, and they built a fortress around it, and Caleb's not having it. He said, I'm as young now as I was then. Guess where the portion was? The The personal spot of the ground that Caleb had that was allotted to him happened to be a place called Hebron. And I know I've said a whole lot of stuff in the, in the last 40 minutes. Can anybody tell me what I said where Hebron was? Does anybody remember Hebron? I said it at the beginning of my message. Abraham gets a promise from God. He's standing there after Lot leaves him. And he looks down at the dust. He realizes he's left with nothing. And God gives him a promise. And Abraham says, I'm thankful for your promise, God. Let's build an altar. And he builds an altar of thanksgiving. Why did he build an altar of thanksgiving? Because he just received a promise from God that he would get an inheritance of, a, of, of many sons and a place to dwell in. And Abraham builds an altar in Hebron in thanksgiving to God for the promise. And the enemy had went in there and he kept the people of God out and built a fence around the place of an altar. And Caleb says, oh, no, this isn't, this isn't just about me. What the enemy has done is they have marched in and not only taken my portion, but they have torn down the altars that our father Abraham built. And I'm taking it back. And the reason Caleb was so adamant about taking it was because he understood that the place of the altar... The place of the altar is what made Canaan even possible in the first place. What are you saying, Brother Hill? I'm telling you that if you want your place, what you've got to do is get back to the place of sacrifice and the altar. Because hear me, it's the place of prayer that even made Canaan possible. What good is Canaan if there's no altar? Caleb said, look, this is my mountain. And, and again, I've, I, I said it earlier, we have, we have all uh, collectively, as saints of God, have things that we're, we want to accomplish together. But there's things in your life that, you, that you've been praying for. Some, some of you have prayed and just forgot it. Some of you has grown so frustrated that you stopped praying because you didn't receive the answer that you wanted at that very moment. And you stopped praying. And God is speaking this morning. God is speaking this morning through me to tell you that what you have got to do is refuse to quit and have enough faith to drive out the enemy from the portion of land that God has given you. Look, I, 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 I know I, went, I said a whole lot of things this morning. But I know I'm in the Holy Ghost. And I'm going to tell you, let me just say this. Kim and Diego. Ignore the fact that the enemy has trying to keep you out of your portion. That's your portion. That's your prop, promise. The enemy can go in and they can try all they want to. But we, have, we cannot afford to let them have it. God has given us a promise. He has given us a land. He has given us callings. He has given us things that are only meant for us. But hear me. Let me say, I'm closing with this. 
your promise happens to have an altar in the middle of it. You can't have the promise without the altar. But the fact is, you don't get the altar without God giving you the promise along with it. Caleb says, Look, I know there's enemy around it. They're trying to keep us out. But I'm taking it back. I'm not leaving here until I get my promise back. It begins and ends with an altar. The altar is open. The altar is open right now. Listen, I'm telling you, the enemy has come in here and he has taken your children, he has taken grandchildren from you, he has wreaked havoc in your mind and your heart. He has made you frustrated. He has made you hurt. He has, and, and that has allowed bitterness to seep in. And God is saying, look, you've got to come back to the altar. You want your promise. You want the land. You want the promise that's allotted to you. But you cannot, you cannot have the altar separate from it. You've got to get back to the altar. Because that's where the promise is. I'm not just talking about a lay me down to sleep prayer. I'm not just talking about a, t- a 30 minutes before a Sunday night service. I'm talking about a lifestyle. You've got to get back to the altar. Because the altar is where the promise is. So I'm going to open this altar. I want to open this altar to people that are tired of seeing your promise in the hands of the enemy. So as the musicians play, we're going to make this place an altar. Let's stand. Come on, you're going to be like Caleb? Or are you going to be like the majority of the people that said, you know what, just let them have it. let him have it. Just let the enemy have it. Are you going to be like Joshua and Caleb said, no, as for me and my house, we're taking it back. Come on, it doesn't matter what it looks like. Because I'll tell you what, most of the time the battle looks like it's being lost. But hear me this morning. The battle is ours. God has given us a promise. But we have got to have the mentality like Caleb and say, you know what? It's mine not given away. I know this was a little different this morning. This is what God wanted. And this is what you got. I'm asking for you to come to this altar this morning. In Jesus' name, I'm going to lay this microphone down. Bless you in Jesus' name.